Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about queer people solving crimes so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Murder Games slash Instinct by James Patterson and Howard Ruffin. Go with that. Joining us to discuss this book from my vision board are wheelie-popping badass and serial killer enthusiast Chris Collision. I'm none of those things. Howdy. (laughs) And obnoxious baseball curmudgeon J.W. Friedman. I've got a lot of complaints. Um, I don't know that we've talked about this book before, but I've talked about this show before on the show several times. Uh, It is the Alan Cumming Crime Procedural Instinct, which I have mostly, I think, only talked about because it is a generic murder show, but with a gay person, which, as you all know, is literally all that I want in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into your vision board, I do want to jump back a half step and just further welcome back uh, Collision and JW, who you may remember as um, previous guests on the show and, of course, co-hosts of their own bad book podcast, I Don't Even Own a Television. So is this actually going to be hard for you guys to talk about a book that caused a TV show? Do you- <laughs> um, <laughs> is this no, damaging to um, your brand? I think at this point, we spend about half the time on our show talking about television and old hardcore <laughs> records, so <laughs> I think we're in the clear. <sighs> Yeah, uh, but thank you for for having us back and once again welcoming us into the warm Jay Patterson waters. (laughs) <laughs> we James Patterson has so many books that we could have years of content just from him alone. Well, him and his ghostwriters. That's yeah. so depressing. Yet, yet another artifact extruded from the James Patterson literary uh, empire. <laughs> I read the ebook and uh, the the very last section is also by this author, and it's literally fourteen pages yeah. long. Yeah, I got the I got a hard copy from my local library and had the exact same reaction when I was flipping through. I was like, oh man, this looks kind of long. And then saw that it has two uh, James Patterson trademarks. One, the world's longest also by section. <laughs> and number two, a chapter from an upcoming book that you should rush down to your local bookstore and make sure to pre-order. Because otherwise, <laughs> how could you ever find a James Patterson book? <laughs> <laughs> There's an elderly patron who calls the library every week to ask if James Patterson has a new book out. And sh- she tends to call when I'm on the desk. So, like, every week I'm just mentally like, fucking probably. And- <laughs> do, you, do you guys have, like, a coded exchange now? Does she just call and say, has JP dropped or something? <laughs> do you have the shiz? <laughs> I'm looking for the disco biscuits, by which I mean the James Patterson novel. Oh my god, that would be such a good display. You just don't tell anybody, but you with you uh, reserve one of the stalls in the bathroom just for a display of new, unsavory James Patterson books. <laughs> Um, okay, now now I feel like I'm comfortable as a hostess. I feel like you've been welcomed and we can get back into the book. <laughs> yeah, feeling very welcomed. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, as Kate was saying, this um, the book was originally published as Murder Games, which I would prefer to keep calling it because that's a hilarious phrase to say out loud. But it was republished <laughs> under the title Instinct because it was adapted into a TV show called Instinct, which is... A less silly title, sure, but is it better? No. 
D- does the the TV show have anything notable to do with instincts? Because there aren't any instincts in this book. I, isn't that... I mean, we can get into it, but isn't that kind of like what Dylan Reinhardt's whole thing is? Like, he follows his instinct through psychology? Yeah, I mean, they don't, like, ever name drop the word instinct, but in the show, uh, instead of teaching permission theory, which Renata Googled and maybe isn't actually a real thing, Dylan teaches abnormal behavior, and I think maybe in one of his class monologues he mentions the word instinct once, but, you know, anything to really distance itself from this book, probably (laughs) good. Smart. The show is much better than the book we are about to describe. I mean, it's not great, it is a very generic crime show, but it is a very generic crime show with gay people. Which I'm real easy. I'm real easy. That's literally all that I want. Well, and played by Alan Cumming. I mean, that's a gold star. It's definitely a low bar to clear in the uh, suspense thriller world, for sure. Yeah. I haven't watched, like, I love Alan Cumming. I don't care that much about murder mysteries. Um, this show is on the CBS All Access, right? Or whatever their, like, hidden thing oh. is. Is that where the show lives? I think so. I bought it off Amazon episode by episode, like a old person. Oh, nice. <laughs> and anything that can get Alan coming into your living room once a week, I think we basically all have to say, yes, this is a good thing. Way yeah. to go, CBS and whoever else uh, took a spicy but nonsensical name like Murder Games and turned it into <laughs> the blandest name imaginable. <laughs> like, I- I also, I feel like as this podcast goes on, I'm gaining in respect for James Patterson slightly, which I didn't think would happen, but, well, actually, I so I went back, I had thought that we read the Alex Cross book with you guys, but actually we, mm. we cheated on you and we read a James Patterson book with some other guy. Um, no. So, so sorry. Um, but. Why does this keep happening? <laughs> <laughs> but really, you're, you're a true James Patterson companion, don't. That was just an accident and won't happen again. But anyway, Alex Cross is, and I hadn't realized this because I didn't watch those movies and I don't, I don't generally care about this genre, but I didn't realize that Alex Cross was like written as a black detective and played by Morgan Mm -hmm. Freeman. Like he's a black character uh, in, in an otherwise generic sort of mystery. And I feel like, especially when he started writing those books, because they're like, it's a pretty old series by this point. That was like pretty chill of James Patterson to do like it he didn't write it in the best or most sensitive way but like there was there was an effort there Mm -hmm. and then here same I mean this book is pretty generic and whatever but you know he didn't have to make it a gay detective like he's James Patterson people would buy fucking whatever so (laughs) Uh, and eh? not only is he a gay detective he's a gay detective who at no point gets punished for being gay that right. is true, and it that is yeah. He's a he's a happily married gay. Also, I keep calling him a detective, and he's actually a professor who solves crimes as a hobby, like all professors <laughs> in murder suspense stories. Yeah, <laughs> he's just a tenured Yale prof at thirty four with a book under his belt and a, a selling book. dark surprise in his past. Yeah, <laughs> not at all like the TAs that I had. Yeah. <laughs> At, let me be very clear, not Yale. 
I dropped this... out of high school, so I just believe all of this stuff. I'm like, oh, th- this really happens. I will say James Patterson does seem to have a better grasp of how college works than Anna Todd, the author of After, which is a very low bar. But very again, low. still, he's cleared it. He's named a real college. Men do it. Classes don't seem to meet every day, five days a week from eight to four. Yeah, it, it's a college that doesn't seem to be a high school. <laughs> I did like the scene where um, before he knew uh, Elizabeth, who we'll talk more about later, I'm sure, is a cop. He kicked her out of his class for trying to sit in on a Yale class for free because that yeah. shit costs money. Yeah, and he like <laughs> named out the tuition price. He okay, we should get into the plot soon, but first or what or never, I don't care. But he seems like a terrible professor. I can't believe he, maybe this is actually. I would like a prequel so we could see what his teaching style was like before he got tenured. But now he is a monster. <laughs> yeah, literally, your first introduction to him as a teacher is he introduces himself, asks the class if there are any questions, and then when a student raises her hand, uh, in his mind it says, boom, there it was. And then he goes on to harangue her for asking a question in his Yeah, class. he's like, how can you possibly have a question yet? You don't know what you don't know. And then he scolds students for taking notes. Yes, I love that. I couldn't remember if that happened in the book or just in the show that someone's taking notes and he's like, don't take notes, like experience the moment and then I guess fail your test later in the semester when you have to remember what happened in this moment. Uh, This guy seems like the type of dude where his test is going to involve like hiring an actor to like come in and pretend to be a serial killer and they'll have to like follow him around the city and solve his crimes, you know? Yeah, It'll this be is like the intro class, class Veronica Mars took where the final was to do like a, a box murder mystery. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, his. this is the intro class. His upper level classes are probably, welcome to the survival seminar. <laughs> I will be trying to kill each of you in an elaborate locked room way. If you survive, you pass the class. I got a grant for this. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Jigsaw Genius Grant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's actually try to, I guess, outline what happens in this book. I swear Fine. I will try to keep... It was this way in the TV show, and it was much better to a minimum. Just but take just it as a every- given. I mean, I haven't yes. even watched the show, but I'm ready to believe that every single thing is better. Yes, it is absolutely, every single thing is absolutely better in the show, except for the stuff that they take directly from the book, which is largely the classroom scenes. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't make Alan Cumming do this. So so you guys are lucky because you got to come into this with Alan Cumming as your mental picture for Dylan. Uh, I did not. Mm. I didn't know it was Alan Cumming until you know, hitting record this morning. <laughs> uh, and so I just had sort of, you know, bland 90s guy mm-hmm. stuffed in there. And I so wish that my my picture had, in fact, been Alan Cumming. That oh. would have banged this book up probably two full letter grades. I was thinking like young Skeet Ulrich with a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Anyway, here's here's sorry, a free life keep... hack. Just feel free to imagine every male character as Alan Cumming. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Some books go so far as to describe the characters' appearances. Uh, this is not a James Patterson trope, of course. <laughs> but let's uh, let's put that on anyway. hold and uh, yeah. So, okay, tell us about the book and not about the show. Mm. 
Okay. That means I have to remember all the events of the book in order, which normally is not a problem for me, but I have been so tainted by watching this has become like a depression watch for me which is what i put on and watch on loop when like i have no will to do anything or get out of bed so it's all kind of smeared together in my head but i'm gonna give it my best my best try i guess so the book starts ish uh with dylan teaching this class dylan reinhardt is as we said a 30 uh, 34 year old tenured Yale professor who has published a best-selling book and also had time to have a mysterious past before I imagine becoming a professor and getting tenure so there's that to to deal with Um, Checks, checks out and he is approached in his class by a woman who as we already said he tries to kick out because he thinks that she's a freeloading auditor and turns out to be a police detective who has his book that he published with like his face scraped out on the back and scribbled on and a death threat and essentially says to him like you're the only person who can help us solve this case because your book's involved (laughs) so he goes with her to help her solve this case her name is elizabeth not lizzie unlike in the show where she (laughs) is lizzie and it's very cute moving on um, and essentially, he it, this kind of unfurls much like any other James Patterson book. The chapters are all about three pages long. Uh-huh. They, they all end with wild cliffhangers that in order to function as a cliffhanger, they require a character to like mentally withhold information from themselves. Oh, uh-huh. God damn it. Yeah, the, the literary trope of I knew then what I had to do cut to a completely different scene. Next page. I was in the diner. It was what I had to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, my favorite one was <sighs> we haven't even... So the the murderer leaves playing cards. It's a thing. But there's one where like at the end of the chapter is like, she showed me what card it was and I knew it was to come. And then end of chapter. And then the next chapter was I looked at that playing card again. And it takes like seven more chapters before they actually tell you which playing card it is that they're reacting so strongly to. <laughs> like there's no way you would think that way but you have to to make the book suspense work I I think that's probably one of Patterson's rules like I know now if you go on Facebook you'll get these ads for a master class how to write like James Patterson (laughs) and I'm sure a lot of it is just pointlessly obfuscate information (laughs) Uh, so the killer it turns out is using Dylan's book as kind of a template for his murders and as we said he leaves playing cards behind and they quickly discover that the playing card is a um a clue it's a clue. It like it's a veiled reference to who the next victim will be but for the first few at least they can't really figure out the connection until after they see the next victim and they're like mm-hmm. oh these were the two of hearts because there's two of them and they were having an affair yeah, and so this playing card motif uh, gives rise to the super clever and not at all clunky nickname for this serial killer, The Dealer. Mm-hmm. Is that in the show? Is he called The Dealer in the show, too? Yes, I believe so. Oh, oh. It's a real bummer because it, it's not really a game. 
And it makes me wish that this had been a whole series. This was like murder game one cards. The next one could have been murder game two board games, murder game three <laughs> video games. Like it's right there. By murder, murder game four, he's just leaving. <laughs> yes. Murder games four, he's just leaving PlayStation discs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he's going to raid a tomb. <laughs> So the cards, uh, the King of Clubs is one of the first cards, and it turns out to be this like son of a very uh, famous restaurateur who is a uh, a club kid in the club scene, and is a club kid and is referred to as the King of Clubs by people. Um, he's killed while buying drugs in a, a real a real white drug scene, and, and this is something. <laughs> So to I, this is what I remember so clearly about Alex Cross is the just very awkward and pointless way that James Patterson deploys pop culture, particularly like black pop culture. Like if you'll recall, Alex Cross loves Sade, but he only refers to Sade by her full name, which no one I don't think Sade's mom calls her by her full name. Like no one does except for Alex Cross. And I thought of that the whole time as this king of clubs is like listing all the different code words for drugs, including oh, it's skittles. And yeah, this, it also Sorry. Keep well, going. I just—it's going to be one of our dramatic readings, so you will get the full list of drug names. But it made me think of nothing more besides Alex Cross. Made me think of nothing more than Riverdale, where their drugs of choice are Jingle Jangle and Fizzle Rocks. Like this yeah. is what level this is operating on. <laughs> also, the club description is very Stefan from yeah. Saturday Night Live. It has everything. <laughs> yeah. Extremely. And the first joke in this that actually made me laugh was that this uh, club that they go to is sort of having an 80s night, <laughs> like an 80s sleaze night. And they've got a S&M room set up that's uh, called The Junk Bondage. Oh, and yeah. then it's followed by the least convincing explanation or least convincing description of consensual S&M that you will ever read. So and if that's up your 50 alley, shades of gray. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they were sucking on cherry flavored blow pop. How did you know what flavor <laughs> their lollipops were? Mr. Oh, it's not Reinhardt. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah, that's the club kid's brain. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Vaughn something or other. Um, anyway, this this goes on. There, there's several cases where they just don't have quite enough information, and it's Dylan and Lizzie trying to trying to solve the case. Here's something that I reread and I couldn't understand, and I'm hoping maybe one of you can explain to me um, the part where there's a, a twist regarding Lizzie and the mayor. And they've somehow tricked Dylan into participating, but because he's written it in such a way where like Dylan is trying to keep the twist from himself. I never figured out what it is. Like there was something where they had led Dylan to believe that he would be a target, but he wasn't. But then they, sh the mayor did something to his book. Um, like, was yeah. Dylan involved the with the case at all even, or what happened there? So basically, if I remember correctly, it was the mayor's assistant. Yeah, chief of staff. Um, like cut the eyes off of the author picture and tore it all up and put dead wrong there because when they initially discovered the book, it wasn't mutilated. Okay, so the, um, but the book was there. 
Yes. The book was there, and I think the killer was basing his his uh, kills on the philosophy of the book, but Dylan was never a target until he got involved. That was to trick him into getting involved so they could uh, catch the, the evil man. So they could use the unique set of skills that he developed in his murky past. Yeah, yes. exactly. Okay, that makes sense, question mark? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really. <laughs> Even saying it out loud, I'm like, this is pretty thin. So as the case goes on, we learn that uh, Lizzie is what used to be on the mayor's like secret special security team. And it still works very closely and mysteriously with him. And that because he's up for re-election... Uh, he has essentially uh, recruited her to solve this case as soon as possible before it hits the papers so that he can continue to be tough on crime and no one will notice that crime rates have gone up since he's been mayor. Uh, so the first few murders, they like run around and try to solve secretly before the press finds out by like bribing the best crime reporter in the city, I guess, to not say anything. In a really awkward diner scene. Yeah, Grimes on crime. Thank you. (laughs) This is a man who orders an omelet and whiskey at the same time, which is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, and that time was like 8 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a Grimes in the TV show? No. Way to take out my second favorite character in the entire book. (laughs) Wait, who's your first favorite? Uh, The pitcher's mound that gets blown up at the very end. (laughs) Fair. <laughs> uh, so they, they're solving these crimes. Uh, it's interspersed with scenes from Dylan's life where he and his husband are trying to adopt a child. And in the weirdest, most awkward, nonsensical scene in the book, a person comes, a woman comes to like do a home visit before for the adoption agency, somehow doesn't know they're gay. And James Patterson's idea for why this is, is that Dylan's husband's name is Tracy. And I guess there's no other paperwork on them at all at this adoption agency, except for a piece of paper that says their names on it. Because the woman is shocked and appalled when she shows up and two men answer the door. And... Tracy gets snippy with her because she's so homophobic and he thinks ruins their chance of adopting a baby when she like leaves in a huff and Dylan makes like 17 old sitcom references because even though he's 34 in this book he still has James Patterson's set of pop cultural references (laughs) to some extent but I I, I also I just found it uh, really entertaining that um the fact that Tracy is a man is deployed as this kind of huge surprise. I think it's supposed to be a bombshell. Yeah. And at first I was like, wow, this really worked. And then I realized this is the joke from It's Pat. <laughs> like, that's exactly all it was. was Whoa. like, we have gender neutral names. Surprise! <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was, it definitely took me by surprise, but then it felt very unearned. <laughs> It was, it was very strange. In the television show, his name is Andy. 
and he's a much better character, I've got to say, than he is in this book. There's a lot of weird... I mean, and I'm I'm thinking at first I was like, I can't do this to one of my friends. But now I'm thinking I might ask uh, Ren to read this so that we can do a queer follow up episode on it and just talk about how weird all of the like little shoehorned in queer references are because <laughs> they're real weird. I, I mean, they're certainly, I think, on par with like Alex Cross's a uh, Alex Cross's experiences of microaggressions which are mm. unsubtle <laughs> yeah it, it's just it's so strange and like it's very Dylan is very built to be like a not like other gays type of character who's like real tough and likes motorcycles and guns and you know, isn't like one of those stereotypical gays. He doesn't care about what he wears. He wears t-shirts and jeans. And it just, there were all these little things in there that as I was reading them, I was just like, straight people wrote this book. Yeah. I mean, it it, it sort of felt like the book forgot for long stretches that A, Tracy was in it and Mm -hmm. B, that Dylan was supposed to be gay. Uh, and you're right. There's so much. Like, even Tracy uh, is like a former lacrosse champion who played the championship game with three broken ribs, you know? And it's like, wow, could you just, did you scribble out the part where you said, but masculine acting after every description? <laughs> like, did somebody catch that in editing? I, I can't speak to any of this with authority, but I can say that one thing I learned from this is that James Patterson is not good at subtle references from things that lie outside his comfort zone. I think as we'll discover as we get more into the book and its obsession with subtle little references to uh, modern hip hop. So. <laughs> um, let's see. Where were we? Nowhere. Because we were just kind of vaguely talking about everything that happens. Yeah, card book. by card. Um, also throughout, uh, Dylan keeps sort of thinking about his secret and like Lizzie knows his secret <sighs> and what's the secret and because in true James Patterson in James Patterson's way every time someone goes to reference the secret it's referred to only as a secret and then the chapter immediately ends and then picks up somewhere else afterwards and the secret genuinely doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me uh, the secret is that Dylan used to work for the CIA Whoa, whoa, wait. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry and to ex- blow your goddamn minds. Dylan, you worked for the CIA, but now he doesn't. CIA protagonist in a suspense thriller mystery right. novel? I'm floored. And also his dad did too. Next thing you're going to tell me, there's a member of the Israeli Secret Service in it as well. <laughs> this book has like every cliche of the genre. It's amazing. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, so they solve a bunch of crimes based on these playing cards that are left behind. They realize, like, halfway through, I'm really brushing over this lightly. Yeah, because um, who cares? The, the reason that the one thing connecting all of the victims is that they were all bad people. Um, <laughs> in that they all they... had it coming. <laughs> T- tell me more, Detective Moral. <laughs> 
in that they all had committed crimes that they used their influence or someone else's influence to expunge the record or to find loopholes so that they were found not guilty even though they were really guilty and they were all seen by the same judge (gasps) so at first they think after using the judge's records to hunt down who the next person on a playing card is they think that the judge himself might be a victim then they think the judge himself might be the bad guy and or they don't think that but somebody tips off uh grimes on crimes and he runs a headline that the judge is the bad guy so he's arrested and shot by a grieving widow who also shoots lizzie no somebody better save her (laughs) dylan heroically lifts her up (laughs) off the ground while bleeding from the chest and sprints to an ambulance because he's very strong even though he's gay with a graphic description of a sucking chest wound, quote unquote, that yeah. made me have to put the book down for a second. Yeah. Okay. Because Dylan had a CIA first aid training. Right. Quick pause. Who here was very, very surprised it was an actual ambulance and not the killer swooping up in a fake ambulance to kidnap Elizabeth? I was surprised because by this point, just about every other trope in the suspense novel had been deployed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was surprised. I think this was after you're introduced to a character from the Mossad and I'm like, well, it's all downhill from here. So. <laughs> yeah. Especially because the ambulance people are very strict that Dylan can't come in the ambulance. He needs to to not come along with them and meet them there, which is, again, the, the pre-trope to that trope where it's like, exactly. oh, they told me I got to the hospital and she wasn't there. It must have been the bad guy. <laughs> okay, I don't read enough mysteries or whatever to know that that's a thing, and now I'm, like, sort of afraid of all ambulances? <laughs> <laughs> this had never occurred to me. Holy if shit. You're, if you're ever being chased by a serial killer and the guy in the ambulance is wearing one of those face masks that covers the bottom half of his face, just don't get in. Oh, God. He's going to have a really big needle and then will cackle ominously. Yeah. Someone in this area has a, like, repainted ambulance that's, like, the anarchist ambulance, and that I would not get into. (laughs) I think that's a good choice. (laughs) I do know that. Although, if you've got a psyching chest wound, maybe you don't have a choice. Maybe they just sweep you up into the anarchist ambulance. That's that's how they get you, and the next thing you know, you're, like, helping them distribute some food, not bombs, slightly used (laughs) produce. They're like, well, we couldn't treat this correctly, but we did have a crass patch that we sewed on top of it. <laughs> anyway, that happens. I mean, yeah. not what we just described, but one step before that happened. And then while Lizzie's in the hospital, uh, Dylan's super crime mind puts together what has actually happened. Once he calls Grimes on Crimes... And finds out that he is working from home, which earlier, in a totally non-foreshadowing way, he announces that he never works from home. He writes everywhere else but his couch because he can't work from home. Uh, And when he rushes over there, he discovers that it is the judge's assistant who they had met vaguely earlier in the book. And he's the one who's been doing the murders this whole time. What? Uh, he's killed at the scene because they think he has a bomb and Dylan shoots him. But it wasn't a bomb. It was just Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. Literally, it says that it's Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. And, and this is 
This is another one of those scenes that's a big genre trope, right? It's the evil mastermind has kidnapped two pawns in his evil scheme and is forcing them to do his bidding. But it's so, so limply done. Like his big bidding is, hey, writer guy, write about me. Hey, professor you know, Professor Crime Solver, what if I forced you to kill me? And it takes about four pages and occurs probably about a quarter earlier than it should have if it was supposed to be an effective climax. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it really it really let me down. Come on, Patterson, you're better than this, sort uh, of, sometimes. We haven't even mentioned that this book is split up into sections called Book 1, Book 2, yeah. Book 3, and Book 4. Book four is entitled Showdown, and the showdown, uh, the titular showdown, is those four pages that you just mentioned. <laughs> also, nothing that happens in any of the books is at all discernible from anything that happens in any of the other books. It's not like we just read Year One by Our Lady Nora Roberts, and those books are set up into, like, there's a plague, and then people are escaping the plague, and then mm. people have created a utopic commune where they all live together, and then bad things are happening. Like, <laughs> each of them have a little mini arc. This mm. is just, you know, randomly splitting the book up into three pieces. Yeah. No, the book breaks are here so you can be like, oh, my plane's about to land and I need to catch my connecting flight. (laughs) Exactly. I had two moments last night as I was finishing this that are slightly relevant to this part of the conversation. One is when I looked up and started physically giggling because I realized I had just read 50 chapters, uh, which in a normal situation is kind of a significant achievement. But in this situation meant I'd read something like 85 pages. Uh, And there was like a moment where I'm flipping through or I'm reading and I'm like, wait, what just happened? And I had to flip back to assure myself that yes Dylan's scenes are first person and then every once in a while you'll randomly get a third person Elizabeth scene yep yeah and also uh, a prologue from the dealer okay that was the most relatable part of the book because (laughs) it if I'm reading it right it's the dealer's manifesto entry number one and there's never another entry and I'm like Oh, so he's a frustrated blogger. I like this guy. I like it because it starts with, so you want to be a serial killer. Which, <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. Maybe because I'm dating myself and it just made me think of that that Cypress Hill new metal song where they're like, you want to be a superstar, rock star. But I don't know. It was great. Anyway. Well, it just sounds like a like a reality television show. Like, like after So You Think You Can Dance. Oh, my God. Would would watch. <laughs> well, I mean, I was referring to this book as Dexter for Dummies like several times in our texts. So. so so wait a second. Somehow neither of you are showrunners for instinct, nor are any of us producing so you want to be a serial killer. What is wrong with the entertainment industry? That's yeah, Hollywood call us. <laughs> Anyway, we will stop interrupting. Let's. <laughs> I mean, we'll do our best so to let you finish. We're close to the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. True. Really, the only other major thing that happens is that they 
Dylan figures out that, like, the last, for fucking whatever reason, I don't remember, <laughs> that there's, like, one more crime still that needs to be done, and it's the mayor. He's going to kill the mayor. Oh. Oh, one of the crimes was a copycat fake with yes, a card. But and so there was yeah, a card. That happened earlier, and then he realizes that the last card... The last thing, he had a tattoo. He had a tattoo oh, on his body of the yeah. Ace of Spades. And when he goes to see the judge, the judge also has the tattoo. But so did everyone in his army group, of which the mayor is a member. And the mayor is the last target. And he's going to blow him up by remotely detonating the pitcher's mound at City Field when the mayor throws out the first... <laughs> pitch at a Mets game. And it's explicitly mentioned, too, that this was done because he knew that he would throw the pitch from the mound because George W. Bush had done it before. (laughs) This is my baseball curmudgeon coming into action here. The baseball references in this uh, are not great. Jay Jay talked extensively to me about this off air, uh, which I'm sort of trying to short circuit here. Wink, wink. Stop it. (laughs) But... The level of detail to know that W actually had a pretty good throwing arm, like somebody involved in this has a fair memory. Okay, so he ran the Texas Rangers for many years. And also, I went back after reading this and watched the video. That was not a strike. <laughs> George Bush was way up and outside on that pitch. So so, so Patterson likes uh, JW or George W. That's <laughs> don't Don't sad. you dare, sir. He doesn't like I'm his JW. politics. He only likes his baseball skills. Yeah. <laughs> and his paintings. Oh, God. <laughs> So yeah, he he rescues the mayor, he tackles the mayor before he can get to the pitcher's mound, and then throws his phone at the pitcher's mound, the mayor's phone, because he has figured out that it's the GPS on his the mayor's phone that will activate the bomb for reasons. Uh, and so the, the pitcher's mound blows up, and it's like, oh, like, you saved the day, Dylan, we're going to use this so that you can have a baby. And yep. they do. They get a baby. And then you get, like, 30 pages of the next James Patterson novel. Yes. <laughs> Which I believe starts out something with, like, the store doesn't just watch your body. It wants your soul. And when you're reading this in an e-reader, like, that kind of shook me. Because I, <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was the preface to the next book or a direct message from Amazon. <laughs> oh, so hard to say. It was very, I was very confused because somehow I forgot that probably there was a chapter from the next book and a long list of every other book James Patterson has written at the end. And I kept thinking, like, I know I forgot everything that happened in this book, but there can't be that much longer to go that I'm only at 85%. (laughs) And then there's a, yeah, well, then they introduce the Settlers of Catan board. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is a sequel to this happening now I guess because the TV show did not terribly and I am very ashamed to say that I will be purchasing well probably taking out from the library and yeah. reading this dumb book because I just people just need to write mysteries with gay people that aren't all romance please do it all of you listening please do it it's all I want please thank you and- and once they've written these, where can they send them? <laughs> <laughs> to at worst bestseller with no S. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> or to James Patterson so he can put his name on the front in really big letters and then your name in very small letters. <laughs> this is... If you go onto Amazon and you look up LGBT mysteries, this is, I think it's in like the top 50 for LGBT overall, and it's the number one selling LGBT mystery because literally all of the rest of them are like not really well written cozy mysteries or 90% romance and sex and 10% mystery solving. Mm. God, I'm desperate. I will say though that, uh, for a book about people solving crimes and doing detective work, they're really bad at it. <laughs> like they are. our two main characters don't actually manage to stop any crimes except for the very last one. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, they're like always a step behind the uh, I was going to say a step behind the eight ball, but that's a really weird mixed metaphor. <laughs> so never mind. Yeah, if 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 the sequel doesn't feature Elizabeth getting a girlfriend, I think this should probably be bumped out of the top 50. You know what I mean? Like, come on, let's continue to build on what's here. Please, literally anyone, literally anyone else, please. I'm begging you. Yeah, why hasn't Nora Roberts topped this market yet? I don't know! Maybe an aversion to writing about setting human beings on fire? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm scrolling through my notes to see if there are any other really important things that I have to talk about aside from just, like, how good Lizzie's coats are (laughs) on the TV show. They're very good. Well, while you do that, can I just mention how amazing the shoehorned rap references are in this book? Because it's one of my favorite parts. Yeah, and it is so, so obviously not James <laughs> Patterson writing. Like, there's a part where he refers to a, a cashier at a uh, barbecue shop as ha- looking like Lauren Hill in the Fuji's era with really good hair and great eyeshadow. And I had this thought of James Patterson listening to the Fuji's, and it made me really happy. And then Questlove from The Roots is mentioned twice. Well, my favorite thing of- is when he's like describing Questlove and there's like, or if you're really white, you just know him as that drummer from The Tonight Show. Like, if you're really, really white, unlike James Patterson. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like on the back of this book in a, a fucking dad hat. <laughs> <laughs> That was the other thing I wanted to mention. Somewhere in, uh, I think right around the time that somebody does a copycat crime and then they figure out that it's not him and it's this other person, um, the dealer steals Tracy's cell phone and calls Dylan from it, which is built up like you think oh gosh he's kidnapped Tracy or you know something terrible is happening no he like literally pickpocketed his phone to call Dylan I guess ensuring that Dylan would pick up instead of sending it straight to voicemail like a real 34 year old and (laughs) just like taunts him and then gets rid of the phone when there are so many better ways that he could have tortured him by having his husband's phone and also like yeah well and even when he's taunting him he's like don't worry I wouldn't hurt Tracy he's like he's like a good guy or whatever yeah it's very it's very weird and also like it's very weird 
And the phone call ends with him playing uh, just over the phone, playing with the Queen of Hearts, the song, and that's yes. the next clue. <laughs> and that is one of the first songs I remember like hearing on the radio. Uh, so thanks, James Patterson, I guess, for narrow casting this also straight at me somehow <laughs> uh if if there'd been like a long uh i don't know blondie appreciation thread uh i think uh, loretta lynn was was in the mix at that point for me but yeah i i it, it, it seemed like a profoundly bad way to send that message and you're it a just, big juice newton fan then. yeah exactly <laughs> just seems like just i don't know a, a, a big missed opportunity to do something cool like you're saying with that with that whole phone scene. Like, again, how how are we not being looped in to improve this, this nonsense? Yeah, because there's really not much that could be done to make it worse. And so <laughs> many things that could be done with very little effort to make it much better. Yeah. All so right. Anything else we'd like to touch on before we move on to dramatic readings? I do want to share with you my theory because we've talked a lot about the the bad cliffhangers that are frequently just sort of mid-conversation, you know, that just sort of like a lot of these chapters are broken into two and don't actually change scene. It's just there's a chapter break in the middle. And I have a theory that many, many years ago, somebody accidentally or maybe deliberately recorded a macro into James Patterson's copy of Word so that if he hits return twice, it just inserts a new page. <laughs> like most people would use a line break. Yeah, Patterson it's, uses a chapter break. Exactly. It's either that or he's got it set up. You know, like I've got my copy of Word set up to autosave every couple of minutes. Maybe he just has auto chapter break every couple of minutes like he gets a little bored he wanders off you know he needs to make some tea or something and like the 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 thing fires up for him and like bam cliffhanger and he's Clip, like oh, that's what great. happens is clippy appears at the bottom left corner he's like, it looks like you're trying to create suspense would you like me to insert a chapter break <laughs> uh, um you know i might have just spaced out but did we get to the part where it was revealed um, that all of the people, they not only were they bad people, but they'd all like gotten off in some kind of technicality. So this was some sort of comment on the justice system, these murders. Mm. I you mentioned was... it briefly, but we didn't get into the, uh, the why. I thought that was like sort of interesting, but uh, just very glossed over in the narrative. Like it was like, oh, these people all got away with like murder or whatever well anyway it's very interesting to me that like and by interesting i mean typical that this is so long and very little happens and it's all very spaced out when when it was made into a tv show this book is the pilot like 45 minutes one and done moving on Mm. Which is oh, wow. about how much story it feels like is really here. <laughs> okay, yeah. see, I thought this was like one of those prestige shows where they stretch out story beats for like two weeks at a time, and just all based on this book. Because yeah, oh, that's, no. that's I really like enlightening. Procedural. Like yeah. alternately, yeah, I feel like you could do like every week one card if you were like expanding it and throwing in more dad flashbacks and shit. Like I feel like you could do that. 
No, it is a straight up crime procedural. The tone is incredibly different. It's not this kind of like thriller suspense mounting tension. It is just like a regular crime procedural where like everyone has lives and there's like cute jokes and people have friendships and relationships that have subplots and Andy, instead of being an out-of-work actor, he owns a bar, and there's, like, you know, issues with the bar that become the B-plot, and it's very, it's a very generic crime procedural, and it's not at all this, like, high-tension political intrigue behind-closed-doors sort of nonsense. It's just normal, normal cop show. It sounds like you're starting to describe like Criminal Minds or something, and I'm on board. Yeah, yep. It is straight up a Criminal Minds and SVU. How many Questlove references are there? (laughs) I think zero, but it is on CBS, and he's on NBC, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that that could be a a rights issue. Mm, They'd have to find, find some other... Um, you know, semi-obscure '90s rap auteur, um, so, most deaf maybe. This, this was written in, or at least published in, like 2017-ish, and there's a back and forth about Dylan because Dylan is obviously named after Bob Dylan, mm. and just in case you, a person dealing with Dylan, aren't going to get this, or you, the hapless reader of books purchased at airport bookstores, aren't (laughs) going to get it. There's two or three just completely seamless and really well done references where he mentions, my mother named me after the famous singer and songwriter Bob Dylan. And at one point, a little kid reports back to him, I googled him. He has won Grammys and was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996. And I'm like, okay, by 2017, he'd actually become Nobel Prize winning Bob Dylan. Like, can we update our references at least that much? Am I asking so much? I think you are. Yeah, that's a lot to put on J-Pats. Yeah, to say nothing of the fact that Dylan is, as one of those characters, a guy who's really interested in referring to things as part of or maybe in lieu of conversation. There's We were talking about it off air, uh, and somebody who's better at Billy Joel should, should take the reins here, but there's this incredibly clunky Billy Joel reference dropped in there. It was, I, I thought it was clunky. It. it was something like, I could tell she was doing the same thing as the first song on the best Billy Joel album, The Stranger, <laughs> moving out. <laughs> Which also, that's called Anthony's song, dude. Get it right. <laughs> like, I, it's just, but it is almost exactly that clumsy. And it's just like, okay, if this is going to work, it needs to happen every chapter of the book, you know? Like, I needed to talk to Elizabeth, so I decided to go for one of my favorite deep cuts off my third favorite Billy Joel restu- Billy Joel album and invite her to have a scene in an Italian restaurant. <laughs> also, it, it should I have knew. been, I could tell she was channeling the Twyla Tharp Billy Joel musical moving out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, that is just that. <laughs> sometimes, like the work, seminal work from the catalog of the previously mentioned Quest Love, <laughs> things fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go for the pop culture references, don't just talk about a, a sitcom nobody but you remembers, dude. I just still want to pause and think about James Patterson listening to the Fugees. Yeah. <laughs> uh. It's a James Patterson book. We've read a James Patterson book that is just like every other James Patterson book in every way, except there is a gay guy in it. And that made it appealing to me, a really desperate gay person. Actually, you know what? Let's save this, I think, for next time. But his books are so... There are these hallmarks. Like, they're all sort of clunky in a similar way. And yet there's so much specific bonkers, depending on, like, what kind of genre he's going for. Like, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like... Anyway, but the pop culture reference, I think, is across the board clunky. I mean, this is not a good book, I would not say, but I'm not like mad at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I think that's kind of the the J-Pat's hallmark. Yeah. Every time I read a James Patterson book, I have a good time reading it. It's just it's kind of very predictable and all everything that goes along with that. They're airport books. What can you say? Good time is like too strong. But I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good time. You're right. It is I had a, little a tolerable I, time reading it. They go down smooth, but so does Miller Lite. <laughs> it's a little like watching a not very creative kid play with Legos. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, I made a square again. Yeah, it's like, I, I really see what you did there. <laughs> All right. I suppose it's time now to move on to our dramatic readings. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to take you back to the, the king of clubs. And <laughs> and I was shocked to read this because Kate had not properly warned me that there would be an appearance from my nemesis, Rob Lowe, in this book. But here, he, <laughs> here he comes. And um, this is weird from Bryce's point of view. Not the Dylan. king of clubs. Yeah, the king of clubs. Ten hours later, and more than a hundred blocks south, Bryce Von Miller, black sheep son of famed restaurateur Aaron Von Miller, was coked out of his mind, something he hadn't been for years. Cocaine, after all, was the payphone of drugs. Still around, but barely ever used. (laughs) Instead, Bryce's usual party drug of choice was ecstasy, and lots of it. Although he wouldn't have been caught dead, or even worse, caught by an undercover narc, calling it that this section is italicized bean (laughs) blue kisses white dove fizz hug drug disco biscuits skittles proper slang was a badge badge of honor for the 23 year old regular of the manhattan club scene but it wasn't enough to stay current you had to stay ahead same for the drugs themselves bryce had been one of the first in the city to try the concentrated form of ecstasy called molly He was always on the lookout for the next big thing, the latest high. Tonight, though, he was going decidedly retro with some good old-fashioned blow, inspired by the recently opened White Lines, a 1980s throwback club in Soho. Saturday was their masquerade night, but it wasn't about wearing masks. Instead, the theme was the classic 80s B-movie Masquerade, starring Rob Lowe, Meg Tilly, Kim Cattrall, and Doug Savant, the actor who played the gay guy on Melrose Place. <laughs> Dress up as any one of them and the $50 cover charge was waived. Grinding on the dance floor with a mixture of Tilly's and Catral's, Bryce thought he looked pretty damn good, or sorry, pretty damn fetching in his tight shorts and polo shirt. 
The same outfit Rob Lowe th- wore throughout most of the movie. It was the hair, though, that was key. Feathered just so. It was longer than what Lowe sported in Oxford Blues, but not quite as long <laughs> as the St. Elmo's Fire look. You know what, Bryce? I'm sorry I'm I love done. that part. <laughs> this paragraph brought to you by a quick Google image search. <laughs> Anyway, shortly after that, Bryce is murdered. Bye. <laughs> Can we talk about this for a second? I feel like we have to talk about this. Yeah, I would love for you to explain it because I read it and I would just assumed it was made up like Jingle Jangle. <laughs> yeah, well, I it all of those names were made up. I'm not going to lie. I'm right, very white and very good. I, I didn't even drink underage. So, so here we are. It is misspelled. This has two Zs. I believe in the book it has one Z. But this is like ultra-regional Oakland slang from like the period of maybe 2005 to 2009. Does that sound right? There was a style of music called hyphy that was uh, hip-hop that was very, very ecstasy-influenced. And this is what they called it to the point where there would be songs about making your thiz face, which is like when you're grinding your jaw and frowning. Um, They're very popular rap artist Mac Dre may he rest in peace wrote about this a lot and um, I couldn't read this I put the book down and texted collision like <laughs> the word this is in this book dude <laughs> put your this face on start frowning up <laughs> so that made me really happy I don't know but I also guarantee you no one who has called ecstasy this has also called it disco biscuits <laughs> Um, what about Skittles? Is Skittles for real a drug slang? If it is, it wasn't here any time that I know of. Um, it's just, yeah, this just really stuck out to me because it's so regional. Like, I'm somebody Googling... went on Urban Dictionary. I mean, as a pillow-soft white guy from the Midwest, I genuinely fear that if I were trying to engage in an illegal drug transaction, and I was like, yo, man, can I buy some Skittles? I would be soundly beaten and robbed. And you know what? I think that would be fair. Or they just ask you, so tropical fruit or regular? Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, do you have any of the sour? Those are delish. (laughs) Excuse me, friend. Uh, I was curious if you could tell me where I could find some fizz. (laughs) Me and my my crew are planning on ghost riding the whip later, and um, we need to get all 18 dummy. (laughs) Real quick, the fourth entry for Skittles on Urban Dictionary says, also known as Beans, Ecstasy, Rolls, E-X, Adam, Stacy." Clarity. You know what? I have heard beans and rolls way more than I've heard anything else in that sentence. So there you go. That's from an actual kid who is a fuck up in his 20s. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like the main definition of Skittles is Skittles. And it's confusing to pretend otherwise. Especially if you're going to present it as it was in this book, capitalized. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's fucking confusing. Yeah. Also, that's really true. That's a brand name. Also, do you think James Patterson just was sponsored by Skittles? Because like the more times we say Skittles, the more I just want to eat that candy. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking really hard about sour Skittles right now. <laughs> Damn it, we've fallen for it. This is why he's a, a millionaire. Is his entire career just content marketing for the candy industry? <laughs> These are the questions that have to be asked. The candy industry and E40's record label. <laughs> Ugh. 
All right, enough about Skittles, because it's not snack time. Uh, <laughs> what's our next dramatic reading? Um, I believe I'm up next. Uh, this is one of my favorite scenes of the book. It's when um, Professor Dylan Reinhardt uh, is trying to get one of his students to punch him in the stomach. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to uh, start us off about halfway through the scenario. So basically, he challenges a student to punch him in his stomach, says he'll he'll give him an A for sure. It doesn't happen. And uh, the class groans, and we start right here. Good, very good, I said. Now, what if the proposition were different? What if I told Edward that I would fail him if he didn't punch me? Would that change anything? A collective no echoed through the class. I resumed my pointing at students for reasons why. He wouldn't believe that either, said one. He'd be afraid you'd get suspended, said another. Okay, fair enough, I said. But what if I changed the proposition yet again? This time I hand Edward a suitcase filled with a million dollars in cash. He gets to keep it if he hits me. What's more, I have the president of the Uver- What's more, I have the president of the university on hand to tell him there will be no risk of any disciplinary action from the school. What does Edward do now? Swig away! Someone yelled. If he doesn't, I will, joked another. Exactly. So what does this tell us about human behavior? It's context-driven, meaning that changing the circumstances will often change the resulting behavior. Thou shalt not kill, right? Unless, of course, it's in self-defense or during a war or, more controversially, an act of capital punishment. Put another way, we can be motivated to do almost anything depending on the circumstances. Normal behavior, therefore, is when we collectively believe that the circumstances justify the behavior. Likewise... Abnormal behavior is when we don't. But how much does behavior actually tell us about the circumstances? Can we ever really judge behavior simply by the behavior itself? With that, I promptly turned to face young Edward again in his Yale hoodie. I then punched him in the stomach as hard as I could. <laughs> Welcome to permission theory, class. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's not exactly, welcome to the OC, bitch, is it? <laughs> no, there's... Th- there's a lot of this is Sparta going on there for sure. Oh goodness. I love paragraphs that end with taglines. So. <laughs> let's let's keep the tough talking train rolling and uh, turn our attentions to page uh, 106, chapter 34, where I was hoping uh, Kate would take the role of the narrator, Renata would uh, take the role of Elizabeth, and Jay could read Sassy Cop Monroe. Elizabeth tilted her head in disbelief. I couldn't help thinking there was a little play acting involved. Are you serious? You can't show me the photos? <laughs> You know what I mean. I can't do what it is you want me to do. Which is what, precisely? (laughs) Monroe took a step towards her, his easy laugh suddenly a distant memory. I didn't ask you the question. I didn't make you lie to me. The only reason you're here is because of that nine of diamonds wedged between that dead woman's <laughs> ass cheeks. We all know it, but I didn't ask you to explain what it means, so don't ask me to make that card disappear like some magic trick. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Except her heart wasn't in it. Monroe had called her on the carpet, and instead of a full-throated defense of her integrity, the best she could offer up was some pallid denial. 
In that moment, it was as if I were inside her head, hearing her say the very words to herself she'd said to me earlier. Stuck I'm okay with. Compromised is something else. Monroe, Uh. satisfied, rested his hands across his protruding gut, but not before throwing her a lifeline. You're right. My apologies, Needham. Of course you would never do that. Ah, so good. It's just the James Patterson difference. <laughs> Wait, can we read the last italicized paragraph also? Oh, I think, go, take it all the way to the, we, okay. the, the I end. I didn't know if we yeah. were stopping, but I definitely No, no, I, I think italicized to the end would be just chef kiss emoji. <laughs> this is all a game to you, isn't it? A sick, perverted, and twisted game that's only getting started. <clears throat> Are you really going to play every card in the deck? It's what you want us to think, right? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure of anything. Not yet. Except for one thing. The dealer officially had the upper hand. (gasps) Jung (laughs) jung! Trash. (laughs) Absolute trash. I forgot Monroe had a protruding gut until we got there. I definitely should have done more of a large fellow voice. My bad. <laughs> it's all right. We we managed to get in not just the best sentence in this book, but the best sentence I, I expect to read this year. Uh, <laughs> You're only here because of the nine of diamonds in that dead woman's ass crack. Like, wow, that's just, you know. Dylan, you're about to have some company. Up there on the Nobel laureate stage, my man. (laughs) Uh, All right. Those those are great. That's what this book is. (laughs) Uh, Now let's play some Would You Rathers. Would you rather take a class with Professor Dylan Reinhardt or go clubbing with Rob Lowe? Um, are we talking pre or post crisis Rob Lowe here? Because that's important. Mm, uh, present day Rob Lowe. Um, I would probably rather take a class with Dylan Reinhardt. <laughs> Rob Lowe seems insufferably boring now. All day, every day, would rather go to class. Guy didn't even want me to take notes. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. It's that's like an easy A class. Well, and also, like, I've already got my degree. Like, I guess I'm auditing this, so I can just sit in the back and like space out and not punch anyone. <laughs> just doodle pictures of serial killers. Yeah, I mean, regardless of what Rob Lowe it is, the idea of clubbing is appalling to me. I would oh, good. die just thinking about it. Good so point. I'll sit I... through this dumb class. Actually, okay, now I'm slowly rethinking this. And if I can go clubbing with Rob Lowe to a club that's doing uh, a drug-fueled ironic 80s appreciation night where Rob Lowe is going to have to deal with a bunch of guys dressed like 35 years younger Rob Lowe? (laughs) That might be good because I think it would cause him genuine distress and I might enjoy watching that. I I don't know. I'm yeah, now that I've heard it put in these words, I'm like a one bar and then go home and go to sleep guy. So yeah, definitely not clubbing for sure. <laughs> but I would I would like to hear about your adventures making Rob Lowe go schadenfreude clubbing. This, but I this would probably be it. disturbingly close to hearing my adventures as an Uber driver Rob Lowe called once. Really? But, uh, 
stop no, every- no 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 oh. that 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 didn't happen i'm just saying that like i think rob Lowe would probably look at me and uh say yeah that's a no from me dog <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. gross rob Lowe is gross <laughs> anyway it's awful uh would you rather punch Dylan Reinhardt in the stomach as hard as you can or go hunting with Father Reinhardt, whose first name I don't remember and don't care to look up? And also, we didn't talk about this part of the book, but it was weird. Dylan took yeah. a time out to go on a very hardcore hunting trip with his dad, who's also a former CIA operative. Oh, and his dad got shot in the middle of the hunting trip, and we never returned to that. <laughs> By, like, two deliverance bros that they then tied up and called the cops on. Yeah. It was intense. Yeah. Real intense. But also yeah. pointless. Yeah, and had nothing to do with the rest of the plot. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I don't want to do either. Uh, but if I have to hurt something... Well, okay. If I go hunting with Father Reinhardt, it's a very good bet that I'm not actually going to hurt anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Father Reinhardt might... So I guess I just got to, like, punch Dylan. And honestly... I can't say that he didn't earn it. He did ask for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he literally asks a student to punch him as hard as he can in the stomach and says he'll give him an A. So, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to punch the dude. Yeah. I mean, also, before you learn that he has a complicated inner life and, you know, thinks about things, like, the first or first couple chapters of this, he comes across as an insufferable dickhead. And it's really worth mentioning, like, he is so hateable until about, I don't know, 80, 80 pages into the book. Uh, it, he just comes across as very self-obsessed and smug and just kind of a kind of a jerk. So, yeah, yeah, punch Dylan for sure. Yeah. I don't like outside hunting or militaristic white men, so I would definitely <laughs> punch Dylan in the stomach. Everything about the other one does not sound appealing to me. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I've never punched another person, and I don't think I would, I don't think I would be a very good puncher, but I'll do it. You could give it the old uh, Yale try. <laughs> does it have to be in the stomach? He does specify it. He says in the, in the stomach. stomach, because later okay. on, which we haven't actually said, that's that's the cliffhanger ending of the chapter. The next chapter is you find out the kitty punched was from the drama class and was doing stage combat and wearing a stomach protector, which is apparently a thing that exists. So, yeah. I like to think it was just like a baseball chest protector, just because that would annoy you even more to have another bad baseball reference in the book. We, we aren't even... Don't don't get me started, man. <laughs> There's a whole chapter in this that involves a closing pitcher that just gets everything wrong. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so I had a would you rather I'd like to inflict on you guys if I could. Go for it. So they go to a, a cop shop at one point and the coffee is disgusting and everybody bonds over complaining about it. So would you rather clean out that filthy police coffee pot at the police station or try to organize Dylan and Tracy's takeout menus? Because they don't cook. It's not their thing. So I really, this is one of the details that I really liked about Dylan and Tracy was, uh-huh. um, not that, not that they don't cook specifically, but that they had created this spinner wheel for choosing takeout. Where oh my was, God. The, was the takeout chower wheel. 
Yeah, they called it like dinner a go go, I believe. Yeah. Uh, my notes are this is a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I agree to 100%. <laughs> There's a website that does that same thing for you. My friends and I used to use it in grad school. Wow. So, so actually, I feel like their takeout situation is actually very managed. I think they've got that little wheel, and it's all under control. So I, I'll check in with that, maybe help them cone Marie a little bit. Ooh. Yeah, a few of those could probably go. I think I also really liked the spinner, but probably I imagine that in addition to like the stuff from the places, much like... You know, me and my roommate always order from the same six places, and we also need this spinner because usually it falls to me to choose, and I can't choose ever. I'm the worst. Um, I'm sure they also have collected all of these other takeout menus with the idea of maybe one day we'll go to this new place (laughs) when they know they won't, and they should just get rid of it. So I think that I could step in and kind of help them with that. Mm. So do you think Dylan and Tracy have the drawer in their kitchen that's got like 600 chopsticks and 400 single serving packets of soy sauce. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they probably need some help there. Definitely. For for me, I like to help others. And I I think, (laughs) I don't know if I would clean out the coffee maker, but I'd probably trash it and replace it with a Chemex. (laughs) It's just how I do. Pour over for the cops. Exactly. (laughs) Watch them get real frustrated when they can't figure out how to use it. And then two days later, someone will bust in and be like, who set up a meth lab in the break room? (laughs) That's social justice. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Good game. Good game. Uh, Let's move on to (laughs) Reader's Advisory and suggest some things to read or watch instead of or in addition to murder games slash instinct. Well, I know I've said like a hundred times to just watch the show, but if you are a person who likes a Criminal Minds, an SVU, a CSI, definitely tune into the show. It's much better. It's got good actors in it. The cast is amazing. That hot guy from Lost is in it, who you wrote down his name, and I'm going to go steal it. Naveen Naveen Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, because speaking as a straight woman, there were multiple hot guys on Lost, although he was maybe the hottest. He was, and he's Saeed, who's also, his character was a badass. Yeah, Saeed was good. Whoopi Goldberg is also in it. The woman who plays Elizabeth is adorable. She has the best coats. Dylan also has very good coats. There's a lot of good coats on this show is what I'm saying. But just watch that. Uh, you, I'm, you all know not to come for me for recommendations of mysteries or murder. But if you if you like Alan Cumming, I would recommend the Cabaret Broadway Revival cast recording. Mm. Obviously. That's, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Um <laughs> We talked uh, a couple weeks ago now, I think it'll be, or a couple months ago, once this episode goes uh, uh, goes up, we read uh, the first of Nora Roberts in Death series. You know how we feel about Nora Roberts. J.D. Robbs, technically. Well, whatever. Well, just in case people are looking for it, they don't know. Oh, that's a good point. It's not under Nora Roberts, it's under J.D. Robb. Yes, correct. Um, For me, I'd just like to recommend, um, with a caveat, 
that it's not necessarily good, but it's incredibly entertaining. Um, the movie that entire swaths of this book are lifted from, uh, called Copycat, uh, which which came out in the mid '90s and starred uh, Susan Sarandon. Um, and uh, no, it didn't. It didn't. Who was it? Naveen Andrews. <laughs> it was. No, it was Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. I always get that mixed up. And Holly Hunter. Uh, and the best thing about the movie by far is spending a couple hours uh, with them because the dudes in that film are uniformly They're awful, oatmeal level. but it does have some of the best early 90s computer hacking scenes I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, I would recommend checking out Copycat, especially because it's free almost everywhere to watch because yeah. it's very bad. <laughs> but, like, from a camp perspective... Very entertaining, and man, I feel dumb getting Susan Sarandon and Sigourney Weaver mixed up. <laughs> it's because I love them both so much. Yeah. Uh, so, Copycat is definitely on point for this. It's it's a very similar experience, um, and features in an unexpected way to me in something that I'm going to recommend, which is a New Yorker profile on thriller writer slash former editor Dan Mallory. Yes. Um, this and this is bonkers. It's, it's it's so bonkers. Uh, quick side note, this book, we didn't talk about it. Two of the people who are killed are cheating literary figure editors oh, yeah. <laughs> for a publishing house that is named by name. I think it's Knopf. And that's hilarious to me because I think James Patterson is a random house man. And he's enough of a publishing phenomenon that he can get away with that. But I kind of wonder if that wasn't him trying to throw some digs. Is that like uh, in the recent Godzilla movie, there was a mayor named Ebert who gets killed? (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, read that, and when the uh, copycat moment comes into that New Yorker article, just sit back and think, "Wow, this is <laughs> the world is truly a confusing place." It's also strange to think that a like below fair to middling mid nineties like suspense thriller movie has influenced so many novels, <laughs> <laughs> best selling novels. Yeah, I also think. Uh, Kate said that if you like this, you should read Naked and Death, that series. You also could go back and look at the reader's advisory we prepared for Naked and Death, because I think we had more books cobbled together that time, and I think it's all in the same sort of vein where you would like those if you would yeah, like this. There's a lot of stuff I didn't put in reader's advisory for this episode because I just, I think that was the one where I was like, here's every crime show that I watch and I think you should watch. So I didn't want to repeat myself too much. So we'll link to that as well. Yeah, it's it's all in there. And honestly, if you haven't, you should listen to that episode because it's hilarious. Thank you. That book was great, though. It was very good. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it's fun to kind of go off script a little bit and like, oh, this isn't a worst bestseller at all. Yeah. What's this sensation I'm experiencing? Is this <laughs> not loathing (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so unfamiliar (laughs) uh all right let's let's move on to our candy pairing where we'll suggest a candy to go along with this book 
my candy for this one was Hershey's Kisses, which are not like good or something I would necessarily like buy myself if I have other options, but they're not bad. And if they're in front of me, I'll just keep eating them. Um, I guess I'll go next. Uh, for me, it's one of those Ben & Jerry's ice cream flavors that has like a core of caramel or chocolate in the middle because it's generally pretty bland and unremarkable, but every now and then you get a spoonful of something good. So that's it for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay on the, eh, it's okay, I guess, train. Uh, for me, this was very much a straight Hershey bar mm. experience where you're like, this is fine. You you know, you know what you're going to get, but if you stop and think about it too hard, you get a little depressed about <laughs> how successful something can be uh, just being something that everyone will settle for sometimes. Mm. <laughs> you know, and with a Hershey bar, it's like this could so easily be elevated if you made it into a s'more, but then you got to get the graham crackers, you got to you right. know, do the whole thing, and sometimes you just don't have that energy. Build a fire. Ugh. <laughs> you could use a microwave, dude. Just a little secret. Oh, that is inferior. Yeah, I. Well, that's so is so is my cooking ability. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry. There are lines, and beyond those, you do not. I'm just saying, there's a line in the sand here. One does not make a s'more in the microwave. If by one you mean people who aren't me, I agree. Yeah, the Girl Scouts are going to come for us after this. <laughs> We're in trouble. Uh, it's fine. We have an in with them. Um, oh, as, as Kate and I are both former Girl Scout employees. Uh, okay. Mine is a little convoluted, and I'm going to include a link to prove that this is a real thing, because Kate did not believe. <laughs> uh, a couple years ago for June, which is Gay Pride Month, Skittles, a normally rainbow-colored candy decided that they were previously showing too much pride, I guess. And so they changed their Skittles to be all white. Like every flavor was a white Skittle in order Ugh. of pride, which is Ugh. <laughs> like, you can just see on a lot of levels how that's this book. Um, not least of which is that Skittles is apparently ecstasy, but also it's this <laughs> idea of like, Oh, we'll take like the the fun, cool, like queer pride flag that's a rainbow, and we'll just make it white, and we'll make it all the same. And here what you the go. Fuck. <laughs> uh, I I just want to say um, I do not like hearing the words white and pride in that close proximity when referring to candy. That's really strange. <laughs> yeah, I also got uncomfortable halfway through. Um, that's just one of the many reasons why that is such a bad idea. Skittles, like what? Yeah. Well, also. Hi, we're Skittles. For Pride Month, we'd like to cordially invite you to stop tasting the rainbow. Right? <laughs> like, you were, like you were already there. What are you doing? Yeah. Skittles, now in regular, tropical fruit, and heteronormative. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't follow the logic. I can't follow the logic of it. I'll Let click me- on the link later. <laughs> it's just so, weird. Um, their quote was, During Pride, only one rainbow matters, so we've given up ours to show support. Oh. I can kind of get my head around being in the marketing meeting where nobody said, that's dumb. You know? But you would literally need someone from the Skittles Corporation following you around explaining it in order for it to make sense when you bought the candy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> When it's said like that, it's sweet. 
when it's just a bag of of rainbow free Skittles on the shelf when everything else has turned rainbow for Pride Month. It's mm. awkward. Yeah. And I'd be just like, I got some defective Skittles, y'all. <laughs> Also, like you, then you can't tell what flavors is which. You can't like combine. Like I like to put a green and a yellow in my mouth at the same time, or I used to and they're oh, yeah. Now they're <laughs> apple and it's confusing. But anyway, you can't do it when they're all white. What the fuck? Oh my god! I was just gonna mention that that apple thing that happened to me recently, and I'm still a little uncomfortable about it, and I'm still kind of working through that. Yeah, they changed. A, they changed the flavor. Yeah. Like actually, like a long time ago, but I keep forgetting about it. Just mm. yeah, I don't, I, I don't buy as many Skittles as maybe I, I should oughta. Nothing's yeah. worse than I'm colorblind, and um, I really like jelly beans, and uh, the coconut jelly bean, which I love the taste of, looks very similar to the popcorn jelly bean, which is an affront against all things Ooh. good and pure. <laughs> and uh, you do not want to combine a chocolate and a popcorn jelly bean in your mouth at the same time. It's happened to me way too many times. I, I will co-sign all of that. I'm not even colorblind, but they just do look the same, and it sucks. Also yeah, the toasted ex- marshmallow one. Anyway, enough about candy, but I, uh, but also not enough about candy. Let's talk about this later. But for now, let's move on to the rock, paper, snicks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is, of course, the game where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And you guys can decide uh, what would most enhance the book or choose paper, which is to leave it as is. Okay. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would take the place of the social worker, question mark, who interviews Dylan and Tracy for the adoption agency at the very start of the book. And he would not be, like, weirdly plot-specific homophobic and apparently bad at his job. And they'd have just a really nice interview where Dylan only made like three or four dated sitcom references. So they'd be put on the waiting list to adopt a baby and this whole pointless subplot would be removed from the book altogether. Uh, If Wolverine were in this book, he would know Tracy because like X-Men business would somehow put him in contact with that volunteer work that Tracy was doing. And when he heard that they were having trouble adopting, he would hook them up with a cool mutant baby. Uh, The book would be the same, except that Dylan and Tracy would have a cool mutant baby. (sighs) Cool mutant babies are awesome, but I just always have to go with The Rock. Um because I think he would be charming. <laughs> and, um, you of know, course he would he, be. He, he could take a, a perfectly wonderful little baby, turn it sideways, shine it up real good, <laughs> and put it right in their nursery. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta go with Mutant Baby, though. I, I, I think this book desperately needed some kind of jolt of energy, and if that has to come from the X-Men's, you know, mutant... By the way, it's a coded stand-in for gay, uh, mm-hmm. you know, family of of superheroes. Then that's I've all never. to the better. I just assumed all like coded uh, oppressed characters in uh, comic books were supposed to be Jewish. It, Most, it's, it's kind yeah. of evolved, and gotcha. that's another thing I feel like we can't get into right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, but we'll scratch that. We'll come back to it. We'll eat yeah. some white Skittles and talk about symbolism in comics throughout the years. Don't even threaten me with that. You know I've got my seven-hour lecture prepared to bust out at any moment. Uh, tell, I said after. Uh, 
<laughs> okay, uh, what, what do y'all think the moral of this story is? Uh, the moral of the story for me is something that I've said several times over the course of this recording, which is that I am super easy for literally anything involving gay people solving crimes. My moral is students are unwilling to punch their professors for a variety of reasons, even <laughs> when the professor really deserves it. My moral is that in James Patterson's New York, you can adopt a cute little, hopefully mutant baby, even if you're a motorcycle riding gunslinger with a shady past who has literally, actually, factually been on the cover of the New York Post under the nickname Dr. Death. Uh, my moral of the story is uh, James Patterson has apparently uh, taken ecstasy with the West Coast rappers, and there's a very good chance that he's in the building and he's feeling himself. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte shares his opinions about the book. Yes. Uh, all right, Duarte, look, I, I'm in complete agreement with you that this is, of course, not as good as Naked and Death. Of course it's not. Um, but, you know, I I think, too, maybe once they get a baby, they could get a cat. I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, maybe that happens in the sequel. We don't know. We'll have to see <laughs> when it comes out, when I inevitably read it. I'll report back to you. <laughs> yeah, if Elizabeth in the sequel does not have both a cat and a girlfriend, uh, there's some major money being left on the table here, Mr. Patterson. What if it's a flurkin? I don't know what that is. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I got that, that reference. It's yeah, it was a really <laughs> belabored pop culture comic book reference. <laughs> this oh. is exactly the place to deploy that. Thank you. <laughs> Someone sent me a, a poster that was like the Marvel Endgame cast poster except every human had been replaced with Goose the cat I was like that, awesome. this is the movie that I want <laughs> give it to me you cowards <laughs> okay uh, good times uh, th actually that's my closing thought is that I just want a, an all cat Marvel movie but uh, do you guys have any other closing thoughts you know it's been so long since we've done a james patterson thing you know i i can't imagine ever doing it again mm, well with you guys <laughs> i've got some mixed news for you then <laughs> oh man no my closing thought is that we just always have a great time talking with you so you know it's been great to be on the show and thank you for having us yeah thank you so much <laughs> thanks for coming back Thanks for joining us. This is great. I love recording with you guys. It's always a lot of fun. And I guess that's my closing thought. And thank you for not uh, inviting us by sending us pictures of us with our eyes cut out. <laughs> oh, we didn't even mention there's a straight up like evidence board with photographs connected by yarn in this book. Oh, too. shit. It I can't believe I forgot to talk about the murder board. It yeah. has every trope imaginable. It's amazing. Did every one of us write down the evidence board oh, that yes. he made? <laughs> that's I did, for sure. That's, that's why I didn't mention it, because I read half of this book on a plane, and I stopped taking notes because I was on the plane, and that was in that section. And I never went back to like scream about the murder board, but I loved it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And it is introduced with, after a long night, two 20-ounce Red Bulls I'd made. And it was just like, oh, fuck, really? Are we doing this? <laughs> 
<laughs> Didn't mention how much vodka went into the 20 ounce. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, real quick, if you want to talk to us on social media about Alan Cumming or White Skittles or Slurping Cats uh, or this book, I guess, um, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash worst bestsellers. We're on Twitter at, uh, at worst bestseller with no S because the S was used in an elaborate uh, murder boggle game and we have not been able to get it back. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that you can access by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the places where podcasts are. You know where they are because you're listening to this. Uh, if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it pushes us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, then we're going to have to just like leave a playing card in your house. You're going to have to figure out what it means, solve the crime. You don't want to get into that. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on Patreon or uh, pledge to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers, where you can pledge a small recurring monthly donation that goes towards paying our editor and commissioning merch and all sorts of other stuff. And you could get like a newsletter or other a postcard. I can't remember what our tiers are. They're good. Go look at them on that website I just mentioned. Uh, oh, yeah. If you're in the greater Boston area or you want to travel to the greater Boston area, we will be doing a live show at Trident Books in Boston on Newberry Street on April 18th, which is a Thursday at 7pm and you should come. And I'm furious because I just found out that Stassi from Vanderpump Rules is doing a book tour event that same night. And also, I don't believe that Stassi actually is literate, but she wrote a book and she's in, in our city talking about it the same night as us. I mean, obviously, what you're going to have to do is whip up your entire crowd in attendance and just go to that book event with them. Yeah. And that'll be your event. Yes. Because that would be sweet as hell. <laughs> Uh, uh, anyway, if you want to come talk to me personally about uh, Vanderpump Rules, I'm on Twitter at <laughs> Renata Snacks. If you want to come personally talk to me about like X Men comics or you have a good gay mystery wreck, I'm at 14 Across. And where are you guys at? We are at I don't even own a television.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Book. You can just search for I Don't Even Own a Television. You'll find that. Uh, if you search this book for I Don't Own a Television, you'll find that the judge did not own a television. <laughs> which definitely got a cheap pop out of me. Uh, we're also on Twitter at, at IDEOTVPod. And uh, as for me, I'm avoiding social media. <laughs> All right. Smart. <laughs> I'm not totally sure the timing, but either before or after this episode we um, comes out, we will be on I Don't Even Own a Television to discuss another great work of James Patterson. So make sure to <laughs> check out both both shows if you're not already listening to both of us, which you should be. You should be. It's a lot of fun, and I can't actually wait for us to delve into the wild world of what I think is going to be James Patterson trying to get in on the urban fantasy. I I haven't even begun to speculate, <laughs> but I'm ready. I'm halfway through the book, and I don't even know what genre it is. So, <laughs> oh, good. That's even better. Well, this is going to be like some Maximum Ride caliber entertainment. Here. Yes, it's, it's whatever genre Maximum Ride was. 
anyway, so that's going to be over on I Don't Even Own a Television. Our next episode, just here on Worst Bestsellers, is Shatter Me by Kate. I already forgot how to say her name. Tahira Mafi. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be cool, too. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Chris and Jay. Hey, thank you for having us. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks to James Patterson for giving us an excuse to do this. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine a more fitting uh, pretext. Yeah, that's a man who needs more accolades. Than <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Late.